Am I on? I can't tell if I have the button on or off. Good morning, everybody. I am so glad you're here this morning. Happy Mother's Day to you moms. And I want to ask everybody, would you grab this outline that you got in your program? It says on it, time to grow, and a pen in your Bible. And we're just going to dig in this morning and find out what the Bible has to say to us about love. Galatians tells us the top of the list is love. My whole life I've been trying to figure out love. I thought it first kicked in for me in the fifth grade with a crush on Mark Brown. He had freckles all over his face and flaming red hair. He was hot for a fifth grader. (laughs) I thought maybe this is love. But you know, that was just the beginning of a journey to discover what is love and how do I know when it's real? Jesus even agreed that it's a really important quest. When he was asked what's most important, he said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says it's the big assignment of our lives to learn how to love. Now it's Mother's Day, and I'm so grateful. We get to honor you moms because nurturing love just describes how so many of you have impacted your family. But like Ron said, this study of love has implications for every one of us, whether you're a mom or not. You see, as I go through life, I'm discovering that the stakes are getting higher and that loving well has an impact direction on every encounter I have with another human being. So I hope all of you will get ready to learn something this morning. Now, since I I can only serve up what's been cooking in my life, I want to just ask your permission this morning to share with you some thoughts that God keeps bringing me back to. I certainly don't have it down by any means, but these are things he's teaching me about love. And we're going to start with just two of the many misconceptions that people have about love. The first one is kind of that fifth grader mentality that I had, and that is that love is only a feeling. But feelings really can be strong, can't they? In fact, for a mom, they can be really strong. An email came from a mother to a friend of ours who's a pastor over in the Santa Cruz area. It was a situation she was sharing that was packed with feelings for this mom. Now, this is one of those stories, it's hilarious, but you kind of wonder, is it okay to read that in church? But I thought, you know, if he could read it to his church, I can read it to mine. So she called it, Why My Lips Are Chapped on Mother's Day. She says, last Mother's Day was a rush to get the kids all ready and dressed and to church. Now, I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so it was our typical chaos to get everything ready. Now, we also have a family cat by the name of Jack, who is so easygoing. He lets the kids do anything they want to him. And you also need to know that my middle child, Eli, has a real thing for chapstick. He's always borrowing mine and losing it, so I decided to solve that by showing him where I keep mine in the bathroom and that he could go anytime he wants and use it with a condition that he put it back when he's finished. Now, this particular morning, after all kinds of ruckus, we had the four-year-old and the baby in the car to go, but we didn't know where Eli was. So I went looking for him, and I came across him in my bathroom, chapstick in hand, which he was ever so carefully applying to Jack the Cat's rear end. (laughs) He looked me straight in the eye and he said, tapped. (laughs) The only question that begged to be asked then was whether this was the first time he had done this 
or the hundredth. <laughs> Moms, we get to feel all kinds of things, don't we? It's a good thing that love is not a feeling. But what about feelings? I mean, they're not all bad, are they? I remember the first time my Ron kissed me. I remember I floated to the door of my apartment. I remember the first evening that I got to hold my new newborn son, Ryan, in my arms. All the commotion of his birth had passed. Everybody had gone home. And I laid there in that hospital bed looking at his brand new little face with the moonlight streaming in. And I'm telling you, the feelings were so strong, I could have died for this kid. I remember the first morning I got to hold my precious daughter. She's adopted, and, and we had gone to the hospital when she was only five hours of age. And that nurse laid her in my arms, and she said to me, what's her name? I remember a rush of responsibility and awe and terror and love all mixed together. Feelings are a gift. But the problem comes is when we begin to think that love is only a feeling. You see, God says something different. He says that love is action. In 1 John, it says God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. See, that wasn't because of feelings. God took action to do something about your need and mine. That's God's kind of love. He grows us up past the fifth grader mentality that love is only a feeling. Now it says in Galatians that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Now I grew up in a house that was built where an orange grove used to be. So my backyard swing hung from the branch of a tree of an orange tree that dropped so many oranges that we use them like balls to throw for the dog. And if love is a fruit of the Spirit, does that mean that it's as automatic as that orange tree dropping oranges? Well, it's a little more involved than that, isn't it? In fact, that's one of the misconceptions of love, that love is uncontrollable. You know, like the song, I fooled around and fell in love. Love is not just dropping from me every day in an automatic, uncontrollable way because there is a great conflict going on between my flesh and God the Holy Spirit. You see, there are three important things for us to remember, three actions the Holy Spirit takes in me for me to produce fruit. The first is that he guides that means he shows me the person in front of me that he wants me to love. It may be my spouse or my child or the clerk that just forgot to give me my change. He guides me. And the second thing he does is he empowers. This is like last week when John shared with us that picture of a sailboat and the wind that filled it up. Holy Spirit fills us up with supernatural power to love. And the third thing Holy Spirit does is he waits. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't force you and me to produce fruit. He waits on us to respond. In fact, he waits for us to choose. And that's what the Bible says about love, that it is a matter of choice. See, Paul is talking about your freedom to choose. And earlier in Galatians 5, when he says, Use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, it's a choice to humbly serve my spouse, my children, my colleagues at work. I have learned that love is not some 
automatic, uncontrollable um, hormone that overtakes me with a feeling. It's not uncontrollable. It is a choice. It is a difficult choice to make on a consistent basis without the help of God in my life. You know, in the New Testament, there is a word used consistently for the kind of love that God shows you and me, the kind of love he wants us to show each other. And that word is agape. Many of you have heard that term before. Agape is that drain the ocean dry trying to describe it love. Agape is an in spite of love. In spite of who you are, in spite of what you've done, in spite of what I'm feeling, in spite of my circumstances. Agape gets into my hands. It gets into my feet. It flows through my wallet. It makes it onto my to-do list. Agape is that supernatural difference-making love that I want so desperately flowing through me as a wife, as a mother, as a friend. I want it. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it's described this way. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. You know, when I chew on those verses, I realize that I'm loving God's way when I put the needs of another before my own. Write that down. Put the needs of another before my own. One of the most replayed movies at my house these days is called Tangled. Have you seen it? It's the story of the long-haired beauty named Rapunzel who had magical hair. And this 400-year-old woman knew that that hair had the power to keep her young and beautiful when she brushed it. So she kidnapped Rapunzel as a baby and raised her in a tower as a captive to keep her all to herself. And now Rapunzel's 18 years old. And she's itching for a trip out of that tower, but there's no way that that self-centered imposter of a mother is going to let that girl go. And when Rapunzel, well, she needs an explanation, the, the mama says, hey, this is for your own good, and I love you, and besides, mother knows best. Let's watch this. You want to go outside? Uh, why, Rapunzel, look at you, as fragile as a flower, still a little sapling, just a sprout. You know why we stay up in this tower? I know, that's right. To keep you safe and sound, dear. Guess I always knew this day was coming. Knew that soon you'd want to leave the nest. Soon, but not yet. But shh, trust me, pet. Mother knows best. Mother knows best. Listen to your mother. It's a scary world out there. Mother knows best. One way or another, something will go wrong. I swear. Ruffians, thugs, poison ivy, quicksand, cannibals and snakes. The plague. No. Yes. But... Also large bugs. Men with pointy teeth. And stop no more. You'll just upset me. Mother's right here. Mother will protect you. Darling, here's what I suggest. Skip the drama. Stay with Mama. Mother knows best. <laughs> she goes on to say, I love you. And you might think, that doesn't look like real love to me. And you're right, it's not. Because real love focuses on the needs of another rather than on myself. 
You know, most of us wouldn't put our loved one in a tower, well, at least not on most days, right? <laughs> but I was surprised when I began to ponder what C.S. Lewis said in his book called The Four Loves. He said that what most of us think of as love is really a kind of feeling of hunger. He says most, what most of us think of as the feeling of love is the feeling, actually, of wanting someone else to meet a need in us. Have you thought about it? What is represented as love in terms of philanthropy these days is many times an attempt to feel better about oneself. Take a look at verse 5 again. Paul says, love doesn't demand its own way. You know, it happened for me again last week, this internal tug of war. My daughter, Jordan, and I, who, she's 11, she and I had headed back to Orlando, my hometown, to spend a week caring for my aging parents. And, you know, since I knew we were going to be focused on them a lot, I wanted to give one day to her, to something it would bless her and, and cause her to feel loved. So I told her, pick out a theme park at Disney to go visit. And she, she picked the Magic Kingdom because that's where the rides are. Now, the Magic Kingdom is the park that was built there when I was 10. So I know that place. I mean, I have it memorized. I could sing for you, It's a Small World, right now in the correct key because it's permanently imprinted on my mind. So as I began thinking, pondering about the investment and loving my daughter, you know, the water started to get murky, and I began to resent the fact that I wouldn't get to see anything new. And then my brain kicked in, thank you, Lord, about this principle of love, because real love focuses on her. I got to see, it's a small world after all, again, and you know what? I got to love my daughter by watching her enjoy every moment. I am finding that life with our kids is something God uses to get our attention. In fact, I like this quote from Gary Thomas so much that I included it on your program. It says, once we realize that we are sinners, that the children God gave us are sinners, and that together as a family we are to grow toward God, then family life takes on an entirely new purpose and context. It becomes a sacred enterprise when we finally understand that God can baptize dirty diapers, toddlers' tantrums, and teenagers' silence in order to transform us into people who more closely resemble Jesus Christ. I remember my girl being in kindergarten. I got a call from a mom from the class who was concerned about something that had happened on the playground. So when Jordan came home from school that day, I began asking her, and she began to innocently recount the pattern of events that she and her classmates had taken part in naively. And then I, I started hearing this voice that sounded alarmingly like my own, saying, you did what? And you can imagine what that did. That shut her down. It was a moment I wished for a do-over. I watched her retreat from mom. You see, she wasn't the only one in kindergarten. I was too. In this aspect of learning how love focuses on the needs of another. You see, in that moment, I was focused on my need to manage my own anxiety about what she was telling me. And it was out of that anxiety that I reacted. Real love is focused on another's need. And one of the needs that is so easy for us to ignore is a person's need to be heard 
and understood. So challenges in life give you and me a chance to practice active listening. Write that down. Practice listening. I got to hear psychologist Henry Cloud talk about this. Instead of trying to fix it or persuade, just listen. It's not natural because most of us default into our fight or flight mode. I remember the time my husband shared with me that my forgetfulness was hurtful to him. Everything in me wanted to fight back and say, well, I'm not doing it on purpose. Fight or flight. But I'm learning that real love listens instead. Dr. Cloud added something even harder, validation. See, validating doesn't mean you're necessarily agreeing with what's being shared. But let's get to the science of this. He said that the human brain, it will actually calm down. It will actually become more rational if the first thing that the person who is sharing receives is empathy. So the way that we practice active listening is through validation and empathy. So if I just had said to Ron, well, that's terrible. Tell me more. I, I don't want to do this. Tell me more. I would have been asking for more pain, right? Because I was in fight or flight mode. I wanted to either attack or run. But when I'm listening, I'm moving toward that person. I'm seeking not only to understand, but here's the phrase that Henry Cloud used. I'm trying to make sure that they understand that I understand. Because once they know that I know, they're in a complete, completely different part of their brain. And sometimes, guys, hear this. If you're dealing with a female, sometimes you have solved the whole problem. Listening is such a gift. Look at what Philippians 2 says. Don't be selfish. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It is the most unintuitive thing for me as a mother. Loving through listening rather than talking. Have you ever been riding in the car with your teenager? And because you love that kid and you so desperately want him to hold it all together, you just feel like you have to get inside their head. I mean, that's the loving thing to do, right? To pepper them with questions and unsolicited advice. And what usually happens? They just pull in like a hermit crab. You know what I have discovered helps me? I keep this on my dash. It's a big clip to remind me to hold the tongue and listen to him instead. Give him a chance to just share what's on his heart. Because love does not demand its own way. So I can cultivate real love when I am alert to my real motives. See, that's the beginning. Just being aware of what's going on inside me when I am alert to my real motives. Now, the second big thought I wanted to share with you today about love is this. Real love hangs in there. It hangs in there. I want you to see this Phillips translation from 1 Corinthians 13. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. A wife says to her husband of 50 years as they're lying in bed one night, 
You know, when we were young, you used to hold my hand every night. Slowly, a little irritably, he reaches out until his hand finds hers. And when we were young, she goes on, you used to snuggle up against me in bed. A little more slowly, her husband's body creaks and turns until it's finally nestling against hers. And when we were young, you used to nibble on my ear. Abruptly, the covers are thrown back and the man lurches out of bed. Where are you going, she asks, a little hurt. To get my teeth, he grumbles. <laughs> Marriage is a great opportunity to choose God's kind of love that hangs in there, isn't it? But you know, so is parenting. And for the next few moments, I want to focus in on a really practical aspect of a mom and dad hanging in there with their love for their child. It's limits. See, a kid needs both love and limits. In fact, holding on to your limits is one way of showing that you're hanging in there with your love. I was reading this book called Boundaries with Kids while Jordan and I were on the airplane. And I, I said to Jordan, hey, you got a pen? And she said, why? And I said, because I found the first thing I need to underline. And she said, uh-oh, that's not good. <laughs> she was scared of the title. But it is good. Purposeful parents, these guys say, make limits a decisive part of loving. I've found that hanging in there with limits can be really tough. But the trick of parenting, these guys say, this is really key, the trick of parenting is to hold on to your limits one more time than your child holds on to the demand. That's all you need, just one more time. But the problem comes, and I've done this, when we as parents get into arguing about the limits. Our children desperately need to hang in there and stand firm and strong and provide for them understanding and empathy when they deal with disappointment. I heard a story about a single mother who hung in there with her limits. It's the mom of actor Al Pacino. He was raised in the South Bronx. And late one night, when he was only 10 years old, he tells that he heard his friends down in the alley calling to him. They wanted to do some carousing and having real fun, and his mom said no. He says, my mom wouldn't let me. I remember being so angry with her. I nagged, I pleaded, I threatened, I yelled. He did his best to wear her down. But here's the key phrase. She endured my wrath, and she saved my life. See, her willingness to endure temporary wrath ended up protecting Al's future. He admits, those guys down in the alley, none of them are around anymore. I had to stay in and do my homework, and I'm sitting here right now because of it. It's so simple, isn't it? Well, I guess it wasn't so simple for that single mother to hold her limits. She had to endure all that venom and anger from her son. You see, this is the severe side of sacred parenting, Gary Thomas says. Giving to kids who can't yet see the benefits in what they're receiving. Being willing to be called all manner of names while we seek to raise godly children. Crucifying our desire to be people pleasers. Moms and dads, sometimes our kids won't like us. And it's so much easier to give in and cave in when our kids wear us out. We're not going to get it right every time, but it's important to remember this. Holy Spirit wants to empower you to give this kind of love to your child as you hang in there with limits. 
I have a friend who told me about her adult son who lost his car because he drove recklessly and he lost his income because he was always late to work and she was really concerned, of course, but she had learned enough about love being focused on his best and about love that hangs in there. She questioned whether it was in his best interest to buy him that next car or to give him money. She knew if she did that, it wouldn't be focused on his real need. She shared this mental picture that has helped me so many times. Have you guys seen the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson? There's a scene where he's out in front of his army. They're about to charge toward the enemy, and he's got his arm up, and he's saying, hold, hold. You know what, parents? That's a picture of you and me. When we think that we are the cavalry that has just the answer that our kid needs, that we're tempted to rush in too soon and provide for them, whatever would bring closure to the issue. Maybe what our child needs, maybe the really loving thing, is to hold back on the heroic measures, hold back on the words that will just set them straight, and allow life to do some teaching. Allow our child to pack under their belt some life experiences that they're going to need in the future. So, Be aware of opportunities to hold back and let life do the teaching. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from a mom, Maxine, and her son, Todd. Maxine and her husband, Lee, faced some rough years in parenting Todd as he was growing up, and they are willing to come today and share with us. They're a great example of a family who knows that real love hangs in there. So I want to ask you, will you please welcome with me Maxine and Todd Arvidson? Thanks for coming, Maxine and Todd. I wonder, Maxine, can you start by telling us a little bit about the challenging side of raising this man? Well, when um, our son decided to hop the fence and uh, go ahead and uh, seek out the way the world is, I knew in my heart that I was in a war zone. And God gave me a scripture out of Ecclesiastes 8.8, and it says in that verse that there's no discharge in the time of war. So I knew I was in a battle because I really believe that Satan uses a huge magnet to draw our kids away. Todd? You don't remember giving your parents a hard time, do you? Never. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what magnet do you think your mom might be referring to? Well, um, after not doing so in high school, uh, in in my first try at college, um, I had some opportunity in L.A. to work in the film and and entertainment industry. And so that whole culture and pressure said, hey, come work. And it was hard to say no to that. So that's where I went. In the film industry, do you feel like you were under pressure with your values or what? Constantly, yeah. Every every day, every audition, every turn of the corner. To compromise. Compromise, right. right. Well, Maxine, how did you choose to respond to Todd during those times when he was wandering? Well, one of the ways, Kim, I responded to him was in, in, in enabling him. And uh, he um, had a whole list of traffic tickets in L.A., because he didn't know where to park his car. (laughs) Sanitation one day, sanitation another. And so he ended up with a lot of parking tickets, and that really 
scared me, mm-hmm. you know, that he would end up someplace I didn't want him to go. Mm-hmm. Well, Todd, how did you know that your parents were hanging in there for you? Well, I know um, whenever I did call and uh, they did answer the phone, um, I know that they were praying for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was never a question. I knew that my mom had enlisted a lot of individuals, and a lot of, well, Grass Valley probably, but to pray for me as I was wandering. So yeah. she called it being in the desert. So right. yeah, absolutely. Well, Maxine, I know you, were, you felt anxiety. How did you deal with that anxiety? Well, um, one of the things, well, a few of the things actually that God gave me was um, not to travel all over and beg people to pray. But he did had... Did you talk to anybody? I did. I did, Kim. I talked to Ann and Jim Cookson. They were a gift from God to me. Great couple. And they asked for a picture of Todd. And so what they did with that picture, they stuck it on their refrigerator and taped it down good. And And the Lord also gave me something that was a gift, and that was rabbit ears. Rabbit ears? Rabbit ears. You know, the big jack rabbit ears. And he told me, he said, you need to listen when Todd called. And that was my greatest ammunition was that telephone. Because when he called, I would process. And then afterwards, um, we would dialogue between one another. And he would say, Mom, how are you doing? And I'd say, just a second. I need to check something. And I said, you know, my knees are still bleeding. You were a praying mama. <laughs> a praying mama. Yes. <laughs> and then the other thing he gave me was out of Luke, Kim, that um, even if one sheep hops the fence, mm-hmm. the Lord will go after him, and he will pick him up and put him on his shoulders mm-hmm. and bring him home. And I thought, it's going to be a big job because he is six five. And, Lord, that is going to look so funny to see you bringing that guy home over your shoulders. But I knew God would do that. Well, was there a particular day, Maxine, that you remember making a decision about how you would try to guide Todd? Well, that day was the day he called. And um, he actually wanted my advice. He said, Mom, he said, should I take this big job? Because Todd was offered a huge job down in L.A. Or um, he said, should I come home? And I thought, Todd, get your butt home. But I didn't say that because (laughs) God put, you know, the clip on. And um, I told him, Todd, you need to make that decision. Because I knew if I told Todd to come home, that it would be me bringing him home. And God is greater. He's um, the one that I wanted Todd to come home with and not his mother. Well, Todd, do you remember that day that you decided to head home? What was that like? It was clear. I mean, uh, I remember um, after working really hard for a lot of years in L.A. and finally getting um, uh, what most people would consider the dream job role um, in a show, um, Prior to that, I'd been praying and just asking God, what do you want me to do with my life? And so on one hand, I knew that the Holy Spirit was tugging at me to, to move and to, to try and do something different. And on the other hand, I had people calling me saying, if you don't say yes, you're nuts, you're crazy. And um, after I prayed with my mom, I hung up the phone and went to the U-Haul 
place and rented a truck and ran into Lou Frigno, the guy that played in R The Incredible Hulk. We were re both renting trucks together. He was still staying, but I was leaving. <laughs> 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 and uh, packed up my stuff and left that day. You left the movie stars behind. Right. And I paid for, we paid for the truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Mama. Well, Maxine, how have you seen God's answers played out in Todd's life? Well, when Todd came home, um, he had made a vow, and that vow was he would not date a girl until God brought her into his life. And that was over three years. He didn't have any women in his life. And uh, God brought Lori Sue, now Arvidsson, mm. and I have two beautiful granddaughters, and we are blessed by her. Yeah. Well, Todd, obviously, God has a plan and a call on your life. I mean, you're, you're a husband, you're a dad, you're a marriage and family therapist. I wonder if you could just tell us, how, how do you see God's answer, and what would you say to parents today who are still in the trenches? Well, it was 20 years ago after a, you know, I think it was about 80 actually 1990 when I made that drive, so it was a while ago, but um, it's good to look back. Uh, I know that um, God completed and is continuing to complete his work in me, and I know that prayer is significantly important. I still run into people saying, I remember praying for you when you were living in L.A. <laughs> so um, I'm very grateful for those prayers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think as a parent, the most important thing for me is to just um, make sure I don't tell God to have a seat on his throne and... Um, direct my kids' life, but just really <coughs> pray and give, give them to him and um, just know that he's faithful. So. Yay. Thank you so much for being willing well, to thanks, share your Kim. story. Would you tell him thank you with me? Okay. You know, I am aware that many, there, there are parents here today who have not yet seen the happy ending to their story, and you're holding on, you're trying to trust that God is going to turn things around for your son or your daughter. I appreciate C.S. Lewis, who said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. But one thing is for sure. The more you learn how much you are loved, the better equipped you're going to be to love. And then the rest, like Maxine said, is up to God. You know, as we wrap up, I want to ask you, how do we get stronger at loving like God loves? In Ephesians 5, 2, it says this, live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ, who loved you, underline that phrase, who loved you, and gave himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins. You know, I grow in love, this is your fill-in, I grow in love when I receive Christ's love for me. I think of it like standing in the shower and just letting God's love rain down on me. Let his love shower you. Because, you know, our kids, they learn to love by experiencing love. Well, it's the same for you and me as parents. We learn to love his way by going deeper in a love relationship with the one who showed us what others-oriented love really looks like. So this week, I want to challenge you to spend some time in meditation. Some of you are saying, I don't know how to meditate. Well, yes, you do. Do you know how to worry? <laughs> That's just negative meditation. But you take a promise or a verse like this one, and you just chew on it. You think to yourself, oh, God, look at how kind you've been to me. 
how relentless you have been in showing your patience in my life. Thank Jesus for the gift he gave you when he went to the cross on your behalf. Thank him. That's biblical meditation. And then let the wonder of it all begin to break in on your consciousness and see how your ability to love others grows as you experience his love for you. Moms, I have a word of gratitude for you today. This is for my mom, who, even though she's far away, she will hear this. This is on behalf of of the kids today. Mom, you have the profound task of being a steward of my soul. You are an unsung difference maker in my life. I'm so grateful for every time you looked past your own need to focus on mine. I'm so grateful for the many times that you listened to me. You were the listening ear and you still are. You have been the anvil on which I have hammered out so much of my life. I'm so grateful, Mom, for the times that you held on to your values when I was pushing against them. Thank you. Mom, you make a difference. Every prayer you utter, every diaper you change, every unknown sacrifice, just showing up, just showing up. God sees, he knows, he uses it, and it makes a difference. Will you all bow your heads and let's pray together. Lord, we're just so grateful that you are love and that you are the God of action who has revealed your love to us through Jesus. I'm grateful, Lord, for family relationships that allows us, each of us, to practice loving each other under some pressurized situations. I thank you, God, that you are in the business, like Todd said, of completing the good work that you started in each of us. And I pray today for a bumper crop of the fruit of love in in our lives, Lord, in our family lives, in the lives in our community, in, in our work relationships, in the marketplace, on the soccer field, Lord. I pray that your tangible love would be seen through us so that we can reflect the God that we love and who has loved us in a relentless way. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.